Would you like to see my new dress? That's what I wanted to do all day. There it is. Julie, it's red. It's gorgeously red. But you can't wear red to the Olympus Ball. Why not? You never saw an unmarried girl in anything but white. Well, you're going to see one tomorrow night. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Raslin. I'm David Daw. And this week we began the 1938 nominees with with a movie called Jezebel. Yeah, and I'm I'm so I want to make the case in the podcast, but I think this is where we pull the trigger on the Bingo Lancer clause uh, for this year. Go ahead. I have two cases to make for that. The first case is a sort of film history larger case about what this film is and what the episode would be. There's a lot of movies and sort of the podcast was built to push against this, but there's like Birth of a Nation and these movies that are like extremely bad politically, but have some level of artistic merit that makes people go like, oh, hey, there's still something to talk about here. And we've got a big one of those coming up in a couple of episodes with um Gone with the Wind. <laughs> God, why am I why am I blanking on Gone with the Wind's name? That's how bad this movie was. But this movie is like if Gone with the Wind had no artistic merit. It has all of the problems of Gone with the Wind, and also it's just boring and shitty. <laughs> I totally understand what you're saying, and I don't think that you're wrong. I do think that this movie is totally lacking in artistic merit and that it romanticizes the pre-emancipation South. I'm not sure that I agree with you on Birth of a Nation. <laughs> well, no, I, I, it's, I mean, here's the thing. I've never actually seen Birth of a Nation on its own. I've only ever seen it in the context of DJ Spooky's Rebirth of a Nation, in which case it does have artistic merit because someone was able to take it and use it as a part of a larger comment on its shittiness. I don't know that you could do that with this movie. <laughs> no, I think what I'm saying is that like, there's at least something to talk about with Birth of a Nation. There are th these things about the cinematography of that film. Again, I think, like, part of the problem is that, like, all of the ways we would be ragging on this film are stuff we're going to get to with Gone with the Wind anyway. And so there's just no there there. At least Birth of a Nation is vaguely interesting from a film historical perspective. This movie doesn't even fucking have that going for it. Yeah, I mean, here's my argument for talking about it. And my argument for talking about it is this. I am going to talk about it now and sum up the entire movie in perhaps a sentence. This is a story in which a woman wears the wrong dress to a party, which ruins her life, results in the death of another man, and implicitly creates a yellow fever epidemic in the city of New Orleans. There you go! That's the whole movie, and now we're done. I mean, sure, but, like, what I'm saying is that, like, that's not really an argument to talk about this all episode, right? Oh, no, no, I'm just saying we should talk about it in the episode, in that I just did, and it took less than 30 seconds. Okay, sure. I guess I'm just saying, like, I don't want to do the whole fucking thing on this, because the other part of this that I was going to argue for from, like, a meta standpoint is, like, we are running out of time for films to be this bad. Oh, yeah. Starting in 1939, I'm sure we're still going to, as we said early on, we still have Crash way, way, way ahead of us. Oh, man, I'd forgotten. <laughs> 
we used to mention it like every week, but it, it's just been so long that I'd sort of blocked it out. I also think like I've really changed my standards where I just cannot imagine like Crash is an extremely bad film and I do not think at the end of this it is the worst film that we will have watched. There's no way it's worse than Bengal Lancer, right? Right. There's no way. Like I haven't seen Crash. I've heard a lot of people talk trash about it and I'm sure that it's not good, but at least it's message is wrong-headed but right-hearted i think yeah i mean i'm not gonna review a movie i haven't seen that i'm gonna have to watch 10 years from now (laughs) well i think there's that and i think the other part of it is that once we get to years with multiple good movies we'll at least be able to like talk about it in the context of the other good movies when there's a movie like this where it's like, I think Adventures of Robin Hood is going to be good, but I've never watched it. I can't really do any compare and contrasting here. So we're just looking at this bad movie in a vacuum. Yeah, that's true. Because we haven't watched anything else in this year. Yeah. The other thing about it, too, is that while we have watched movies that have, like, neutralized slavery, that have made it like, well, you know, there were some slaves in the movie, but it wasn't like a large part of the film. And that has been offensive on its own. I mean, there's there's a whole part in the movie where it's considered rude that someone from the North is talking about the fact that the South is going to lose in the upcoming Civil War at dinner. And it is framed that way. It's like, oh, well, how dare you speak of such things at our dinner table instead of like, hey, fuck y'all slavers. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a problem. Again, I haven't seen Gone with the Wind and I know that you've seen it, but like, it's been a really, really long time. So I can't really speak with knowledge to this, but the, apparently that's like the major issue with Gone with the Wind. Oh, sure. And, and in fact, I think Gone with the Wind kind of romanticizes slavery even more than this movie does, but it also has even vaguely likable characters. I actually will take you to task on that, that this movie does not have any likable characters because Zeddy, played by Teresa Harris, is the black lady's maid. And she's likable. Uh, Sure, but like she's also a slave. Like her entire purpose is to wait hand and foot on Betty Davis's terrible, terrible character, who is like... Like, that's the thing, is I think the real argument to be had here is whether or not I hate this film enough to have anything interesting to say about it. I just get so exhausted thinking about talking about this movie. (laughs) Is like, every time I want to go like, oh, and then it does this other thing. I'm just like, oh, right. Fuck. God. (laughs) Can't I just talk to you about anything else? I would actually like to talk about Teresa Harris as an actor generally and her life, which is tangential to this movie, but is not actually talking about this movie. Because the moment she came on screen, and she is on screen with a young Betty Davis, who I was kind of surprised to find was incredibly beautiful, because all of the poster illustrations of her like do not convey that. She always looks like 55-year-old Betty Davis. And Teresa Harris was the most beautiful person in a movie that is sadly full of very good looking people, considering how shitty it is. And I thought, I really hope that we are far enough into Hollywood history that Teresa Davis is going to have a chance to play better characters, that she's going to be able to do something other than just be a maid. And so I went to her Wikipedia page and um, the, the answer is no. 
She had a couple of roles that were not maids in what were at the time called race films, which we now call black movies. But it's just really tragic to me that there was a generation of lost black women actresses, at least a generation in Hollywood, who had a lot to offer and who are like doing their best with absolute garbage roles. Yes, Pembe, what is it? Sorry, my cat is like, she agrees with me really is what it is. And it reminded me of, oh, what was the name of the actor who was in Imitation of Life? Uh, shit. Freddie Washington. Yes, I pulled Imitation of Life before you, but was unable to pull Freddie Washington. But yeah, it reminded me of Freddie Washington, where like, obviously there was this incredibly beautiful, very unique, very talented actor who... We just don't know what they ever would have done with something good. And that sucks. Honestly, at this point, it feels like we're like now pop committed to talk about this fucking dog shit movie. And everything we talk about, we're just going to talk about again with Gone with the Wind. Because like, yeah, that's also a huge problem with Gone with the Wind is like there are hugely talented black actresses in that film that are given absolutely nothing to do because the entire point of the film is that like it's actually kind of okay. They're all slaves. And it's actually kind of a tragedy that these white people's lives are vaguely inconvenienced by that system falling apart. Okay, well, then we could talk about something else. What do you want to talk about? Well, I mean, at this point, we've like, I, that's what I'm saying is like, it feels like we're kind of- We're not committed to anything, David. This is our podcast. <laughs> right, but like, I, like, uh, I don't know. At the same time, it's like, if we're 12 minutes in, we would might as well get 20 minutes in and then just put this in the can and like fucking forget about it. And just go like, here's why both of the people that, you're right though, I do just immediately get bored and want to talk about anything else, uh, than this fucking movie. So I've been watching The Wire, which I thought about a lot actually while watching this movie, for no reason other than Henry Fonda's character's name is Preston and everyone calls him Prez. Oh, and yeah, Prez Belusky. I was I was thinking about the follow-up to The Wire, the New Orleans set, Treme that David Simon did a lot during this because this movie has a bad case of it's this year and you're in this place and otherwise you'd have no fucking clue this was New Orleans and not any place in the South. Do they do that in Treme? No, in, no, no, no. I'm saying this movie does a lot of- Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Because I haven't, I haven't watched it. Treme is obsessed with a sense of place for New Orleans. And this movie just kind of has a sign that says New Orleans. And then that's pretty much the only sign that you're not in Alabama or just like wherever. Yeah, I mean, I definitely had, uh, while I was taking notes, I was like, we're going to have to play fuck this movie bingo two weeks in a row. Yeah. And then I was like, well, or we could just not. Yeah. Like I said, we could talk about The Wire. <laughs> sure. Or I like... Which I have finally broken down and started watching. So after years of refusing to watch it on the basis of everyone telling me, you have to watch The Wire. How far are you? I'm on the second episode of the second season. Okay. I am one of the people who is bored by the second season. Oh, thank God. Because I really am like, I got through the second episode, but it took me like days and the first season, I was really like, by the fourth episode or something, I was like very much just wanted to watch The Wire. And I have a lot of criticisms of it. There are things about it that feel dated, but most of those things are one, acting related, and two, its treatment of police brutality, which I think is very 
very flip. Oh, for sure. The first season and the third season are kind of interchangeable to a lot of people because the first season is supposedly the season about cops and the third season is supposedly the season about- Dock workers. The drug trade. No, that's the oh, second sorry, season. Yeah, the, second. the third season goes back to what you'd think of as the main story, but sort of more from the point of view of Avon and the Barksdale family and sort of what's going on with the drug trade in Baltimore. Um, and so I think a lot of people think those two are interchangeable in a lot of ways. Like the first season is kind of flip about police brutality because you're watching it from the point of view of cops who are kind of flip about police brutality. But that thread kind of sticks around. I also think the show just kind of gets better as it goes along of writing its black characters. It was already pretty good by television in the 2000s standards, but really kind of steps up its game as those characters become core players in their own right instead of people being watched by the cops. So I just have to plow through season two and just deal with it. I think one of the things about it that really bugs me is if you watch it on HBO Go now, at the beginning of each season, there's like a little... 30 second one minute spot where they're interviewing David Simon and he tells like in season one blah 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 thing happens and here's how I feel about it and for season two he was like I was really proud of the work that we did on this and it was probably my favorite season I think it was the best one that I did and like that's such a creator's not knowing what it is that their thing was a, a little... I've literally never heard anyone be like, second season of The Wire is the best. It's always like third season or fourth season. I know people who will stand up and defend it because it's the Bernie Sanders season. Like, it's the like, guys, you don't understand how much it fucking sucks to be like a blue collar white guy. Uh, yeah, and it feels that way. Woo, does it feel that way? Yeah, it's the story of this kind of a dipshit union leader who's basically likable despite making bad decisions and his two insane Sufferable idiot sons. <laughs> if it was just about that one main guy, I could maybe pull through and go like, oh yeah, there's like a lot here. When I have to deal with those two fucking dipshits. Yeah, well, and they also kind of like undermine themselves from the beginning because they keep saying, well, there's only like a hundred guys in the whole union. And I'm like, oh, okay. There's way more people than that that live in the low rises. You know what I mean? Yes. So, like, there's a sense of scale there that is so diminished by focusing on these people, because when you're representing a hundred people, you've got three guys, and when you're representing, like, a few thousand, you can have, like, 10 or 15 yeah who are much more interesting i think david simon always sticks up for it because it was kind of the only chance for the show to be what he really wanted it to be which was much more of a like an anthology show right as we like sort of now think of it where like he could really get away with just like recasting all these really good actors he had as totally different people in baltimore five times <laughs> and just you never ever fucking hear about presbalewski or fucking <laughs> mcnulty or or any of them ever again after the first season and just start dealing with these totally different people. Right. And he wanted to do that. And then nobody really liked any of the dock workers. Like, let's keep going with the cops, I guess. Everything has to still be sort of seen through the lens of the characters that were introduced in the first season, even as it tries to get to other parts of society in the later seasons and i think it hits a like really effective balance in doing that later on but i don't think he wanted a really effective balance i think he wanted to just go whole hog into like it's just a new show every time 
And also just, I just don't like the second season. <laughs> like I, I, it's, I always feel bad because I do always think like, maybe I just don't have the artistic vision to understand the, but no, actually Ziggy just sucks. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not loving the second season, but I, I will not give up because I am, I'm assured that I can get back to the Barksdale crew as the main focus. I also have a broken ankle, so, like, what the hell else am I going to do? <laughs> sure. And I think the other thing that sucks about season two is, like, it really ramps back into the Barksdale stuff toward the end of the season, so you can't just bail out and run to season three. The back half really does introduce a lot of stuff that's actually important for stuff that happens later on. So I can't do, like, a, a couple of weeks back trying to talk... Was I trying to talk you into watching The Legends of Tomorrow or Alex? Probably both, but you were saying that there's, like, parts of it that we can just sort of jump in. You can pretty much, in the same way you do with Parks and Rec, just bail on the first season and, like, accept that there's going to be a few mentions of stuff you don't understand at the start of the second season, but none of it is really all that plot critical. And just go from there. So, yeah, we talked about The Wire. <laughs> so I found out that because I have Amazon Prime, I had like two free months of the anime service, Crunchyroll, which honestly generally seems to have basically nothing on there that I care about because it's all simulcasting stuff that I don't care about. But it is still the only place to get the anime series Yuri on Ice. Ah, yes. It's real good. The basic premise is like, it's a kind of actually literally gay romance of male figure skaters. But the thing that I found really interesting is by like, I was kind of expecting it to be gay in the way that male romance is very often presented in anime as this sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing of like, you know what's going on. Right. And I'm like, by episode three, I'm like, this is a 13 episode series. They're going to run out of subtext at this rate. And then they just run out of subtext. It just starts <laughs> being straight text about halfway through the show. Oh, speaking of Amazon, did you see this week where a bunch of fundamentalist Christians signed a petition telling Netflix to cancel Good Omens, which is not Netflix's show. Yeah, that was, God. Amazing? Yeah. Amazing. Honestly, it's kind of the best Terry Pratchett joke of the last five years. I Right? I totally thought that, too. <laughs> I was like, I'm just really sad he did not live to see his sense of humor become reality. You haven't watched Chernobyl yet, have you? No, because I don't have an HBO Go subscription. I would give you my password, but it is actually my former roommate's parents' HBO Go password that he put on my Apple TV, but I never knew what it was. So I can't share it with you. Back when people used to do like YouTube sketches, one of the best YouTube sketches I ever saw was just this long shaggy dog story of... HBO Go going out and everyone on Earth trying to trace back the one HBO Go password they were all sharing with each other to figure out who they actually need to talk to about the password being changed. <laughs> uh, did they find the guy? Uh, yeah, they. I think they eventually... Like, I think it was, like, College Humor or somebody that could get a name and it was, like, a James Gandolfini or somebody like that that, like... 
the bit was just like actually HBO owns the one <laughs> HBO Go password. Oh, that's amazing. Pose started back up. You haven't watched it yet, have you? I haven't. I should. I because I've actually been seeing the like push to watch it this time. We talked about this in our last Bingle Lancer episode. Yeah, I'm bringing it back. I straight up just didn't know what that show was. And this time people seem way more determined to make sure I know about Pose than the first season. And so it's like on my list. I have this whole list of stuff where I'm like waiting, maybe kind of stupidly, but to get like an exercise machine in my apartment and then just like row and watch an episode of television every day. And I have like this list of stuff to get ready. We've been watching a bunch of movies, honestly, because of the party slash game thing, the spy versus spy party I want to throw. So we've been watching a bunch of spy movies like Man from Uncle and Three Days of the Condor and Oh, so Man from Uncle I just watched for the seventh time because <laughs> well one I broke my ankle and my friends Helena and Thomas came over to like sit with me because I can't walk. Sure. And I was like, Have you guys seen this movie? Because it is basically my favorite movie. And uh and I realized that that's gonna undermine my opinion on like this entire podcast. <laughs> but hear me out. <laughs> it's a very good movie and the timeline checks out. Nicole Cliff is a strong believer of the fact that we didn't support Man from Uncle enough to get a sequel to Man from Uncle is what set us off into this, like, doomed timeline. Oh, God, I love her so much, even more now. I mean, here's the thing. Like, I understand why we didn't support it enough, because it did come out in the same summer that one of the Mission Impossible sequels and Bridge of Spies came out, and it was kind of like, well, who's going to go see the third spy movie? One of them had Tom Hanks directed by Steven Spielberg, and the other one had the name recognition of Mission Impossible, so everybody went to see one of those two or both of them. Whereas, like, people who remember The Man from U.N.C.L.E. and who loved it, the TV show, are older than our parents. Yeah. But it's so damn good. It's a really, really good action movie. It's also hilarious. And it is essentially two incredibly good-looking men having a dick-measuring contest for two hours (laughs) set mostly in a luxury hotel in 1960s Rome and all of the women are wearing like Poochie and Carnaby Street clothing. It is fucking perfect. It is the best movie. This was a thing I was talking about with Nikki when we were rewatching it. It knows how to use Henry Cavill. There's just an inherent trustworthiness to Henry Cavill that is like, that's why you should kind of have him play a bastard and not have him play Superman. Right! <laughs> There is this fun to every new layer of Henry Cavill's character. You're like, oh, I definitely shouldn't trust him at all. And then you just do anyway in the next scene. And that totally works. I think it also knows how to use Army Hammer in a really good way, too. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just a really damn good movie. Honestly, like the case I was making to Nikki was like, this is the only movie that's known how to use Alicia Vikander. <laughs> like any of the three leads. Because we've talked before that I don't have much fondness for Ex Machina. I don't think it's really her fault. I think she gives a really good performance, but I find that movie extremely tiresome because I kept waiting for the twist at the end to happen in the first 20 minutes so a movie would happen. Right. (laughs) Ever since then, people have been kind of throwing her into this like 
poor man's Elisha Clark like roles that are not her at all. No, she's so much more fun in this movie. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so the man from Uncle, I'm gonna give a ten. Sure, sure. I mean, I honestly, I'm, I'm like, no, it's not a fun game because then the game is like, holy shit, how did they do any of this? This is all in color. But I was going to go like, what years does Man from Uncle win of the years we've already done? And the answer is basically all of them except that it happened one night year. Oh, it happened one night and Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Uh, or, um, uh, th- you mean? No, yeah, sorry. Mr. Smith goes to town. Mr. Deeds. Woo! Hi! Mr. Deeds goes to town. There we go. Nailed it. We do a podcast where we watch <laughs> movies. Yeah, but we've watched a lot of them. And then the second night, Helena and Thomas came over and made me watch Magic Mike XXL, which is also a perfect movie. Fuck, that movie's good. And I'm actually angry that it was not nominated for Best Picture. Like, Man from Uncle, I get, oh, le- but like, Magic Mike XXL had so much hype around it. Yeah. Not even hype. Whatever comes after the thing is released and everybody loves it. It's such a good movie. I mean, just that it's a, like, we've got to get together and save the rec center road trip movie for male strippers is already just, like, the fucking greatest premise for a film of all time. It is also the only sex-positive movie ever made that's good. For sure. Sex-positive in a good way. Like, when Amber Heard's character is like, I'm not really into guys right now or whatever, and then at the end of the movie, she, like, gets this crazy stripper extravaganza, and at the very end, she's hanging out on the boardwalk with all the dudes and two chicks. That's cool. I'm glad that they weren't like, oh, yeah, you're not feeling guys right now? Well. I'm also a firm believer this was said on a recent episode of Punch Up the Jam by Demia Dijuibe. I'm a firm believer it's maybe Donald Glover's all-time best performance. Oh, he's so sweet in it. I will definitely credit it for saving Childish Gambino, because I think Childish Gambino as a project had really gotten deep into, like, and then I'm fucking Asian chicks. And then that movie came out. And now then you got like 70 soul childish Gambino, like immediately after that. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of like came back from from that. I mean, here's the thing. I there's a lot of criticisms that I have even after that record of Donald Glover's work. But yeah, I I I. Th- I I get it. For some reason, I always go back to him, so... I think the monologue he gives in that movie, he really kind of took to heart as an actual human being. Maybe in an extremely utilitarian way. But the just, like, women actually just want you to listen to them and then actually do the thing. Like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that was so nice. Yeah. It was just so... It's just such a nice movie. Yeah. God, that was also the year of... Was it the same year of... I'm trying to remember what year Magic Mike XXL was, because was it also 2015? It was 2015, yeah. Yeah. God, 2015 was such a good year for movies. Magic Mike XXL, Man from Uncle, Mad Max was also 2015. Which is also one of my favorite movies ever made, but was nominated for Best Picture, so I think I've redeemed myself. (laughs) Not nominated for Best Picture, and honestly probably shouldn't have been, but really underrated, the Melissa McCarthy spy movie, called just Spy. God, that was the year of spy movies, huh? Yeah, there were like seven that year. Because <laughs> that was also when Spectre came out. That was our last Bond movie. Oh my god. Yeah, but it was also the year that 
Jurassic World, aka nearly beat for beat remake of Jurassic Park, came out. <laughs> and Mordecai. <laughs> now I'm just looking at IMDb, but just whenever you have an opportunity to do a joke about how the movie Mordecai exists, you probably should. I don't even know what that movie is. I don't think anyone knows anything about the movie Mordecai except for the like weird posters. That expected you to be really excited that Johnny Depp was playing Mordecai. And you were like, I, okay, am I supposed to still be excited about Johnny Depp because we live in a world where Alice in Wonderland has already come out? Or am I expected to be excited about Mordecai? Because I'm not excited about either one. Yeah, I don't even I don't even know what it's about. And it has like a really, really famous cast. Yeah. That says a lot about that. But there were some good movies that came out in that year. Oh, there were tons. Yeah. Fuck, that was also the year of Inside Out. Yep. Oh, that movie was really, really good. And Kingsman, which is problematic as fuck, but is also very fun. It's, uh, yeah, I... Honestly, it's just that one fight scene in the church that's like, oh, we finally figured out how to do a Sam Raimi action scene outside of the Spider-Man movies. We just didn't get much chance. I think I'm just a sucker for any movie where bespoke suits are a plot point. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, Man from Uncle, infinitely better, not problematic, and it is actually a plot point. (laughs) This is now our episode about 2015 in film, (laughs) and I don't know how that happened. Except that we both like Man From U.N.C.L.E. And Magic Mike XXL. Sure. And Crimson Peak was okay. Yeah, Crimson Peak was- Crimson Peak was alright. I mean, mostly Crimson Peak was great because the stuff from it that was in the Guillermo del Toro exhibition at LACMA was really nice. (laughs) That's my whole interest in that movie at all. God, you know what movie I keep, like, this year remembering exists- Tomorrowland keeps coming up. I keep having to remember Tomorrowland was a film. Yeah, did you see it? Yes, I did. Was it good? God, no. It had all of Brad Bird's problems of doing these weird classist exceptionalism narratives and all Damon Lindelof's problems of not being able to write an ending and not even bothering to try. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I will never watch that. But, like, George Clooney's in it, and George Clooney can carry basically anything, so... God, that is so true. You spend a lot of time going, maybe they're gonna pull this one out. So, uh, so yeah. Movies. They're a thing. (laughs) Uh, I guess we should rate Jezebel real quick. Yeah, one. Yeah. 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 I... Minus five. Yeah, just fucking, like... Again, we're gonna get into everything we're sidestepping here in Gone with the Wind, or I'd feel a little bit worse about it. But God, what a racist, sexist, fucking piece of trash. Honestly, the only person that seems like they're even trying is Betty Davis. You know who's in this movie, and I'm now starting to think is an indication of quality that is not good quality is richard cromwell who was also in bengal answer maybe he's the kiss of death there oh on the fuck this movie bingo he's the major character i keep forgetting exists oh yeah that's his move both he and his sister when i'm supposed to be all torn up about the fact that he's a dumb fuck that just got in a duel are like who are you again 
why do we care that you're about to die and or are alive? Yeah. I mean, his sister-in-law is also the woman who dies on the Titanic in Cavalcade. They're like, I just had a dream about something terrible. And then, like, the lifesaver is revealed to save the Titanic. Did this turn out to be a parody news story? Or, nope, no, we are actually living in a timeline where we're building Titanic 2. A boat uh, that's a sequel to the original and about to set sail. Is anyone buying tickets? Who's like, yeah, I definitely want to ride Titanic 2. That's the times we're living in, though, right? People are dipshits. <laughs> and very specifically dipshits in a, like, yes, I will do a degree of conspicuous wealth where the conspicuousness is all about how I believe nothing can ever hurt me. <sighs> Rich enough that I'll never die. Yeah, that's- that's <laughs> Is definitely the mood. I'm so wealthy that this could not possibly go wrong for me. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. I hope we're wrong, because I don't want to, like, be delighting in the death of hundreds of people, but, oh my god, who is this foolish? I feel like it's just going to be boring, because that's the stupidest possible outcome, right? Is that, like, they remember lifeboats this time. Because we've, like, made laws about that in the intervening years. But then you get on the boat and you're like, oh, right, we got better at luxury in the intervening 80 years. I mean, is it just going to be, like, a cruise ship, essentially? Yeah, except probably, like, worse at it. Because we've had 80 years to design better cruise ships that are better on a lot of metrics beyond just not killing a bunch of people. <laughs> Yeah, that does seem like a subterranean bar to clear. But yeah, you shouldn't watch Jezebel, it sucks. But you should watch The Man from Uncle and Magic Mike XXL, which are both perfect movies. Yeah, I'm trying to think what else you should watch. I don't know, you should probably watch the thing online where the one guy from Queer Eye dresses John Mulaney up. Just because it's been a while since John Mulaney had a stand-up special. And it's just always nice to hear from John Mulaney, you know? Uh... So next week. <laughs> yeah, I'm just doing some business. Do you not want to spend the next 18 hours listing every artistic work? It is more worth watching than Jezebel? Because I thought that's what we would be doing with the rest of the podcast. Oh my god, that's the whole podcast forever then. We're just going to be sitting here listing movies. Have you started reading Tana Hesse Coates' Captain America run? Uh, no. Because it's quite good. Uh, uh, you ever uh, watch Cool, the so, so <laughs> next week... <laughs> What are we watching next week? I genuinely don't have the tab open. We are watching Test Pilot. Ooh. A movie starring Clark Gable, Myrna Loy, Spencer Tracy, and Lionel Barrymore about a daredevil test pilot, played by Clark Gable, of course, his wife, who is Myrna Loy, and his best friend, who is probably going to be an insufferable Spencer Tracy. Oh, that was Gary Cooper. <laughs> I thought this was going to be a prequel to Gary Cooper's role in Wings. <laughs> But that was Gary Cooper and not Clark Gable. Yeah, no, and I think it's set in the actual 30s. Ah. Uh, but I I mean, I don't, I don't know. We'll find out next week. Yeah. And until then, this is me hoping that we did not blow our Bengal answer card too early for the year. I mean, we've only got, what, 
nine more movies it could really possibly be. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds worse when I say it like that. When I say it out loud like that, it does feel a little bit more like tempting fate. But like, no, I feel like we made the right call. I feel like we made the right call. I hope so. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye, everyone. I've doomed us all. (laughs) Bye.